This is a FUBAR Radio podcast. For more information, go to foobarradio.com. Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on FUBAR Radio. We started. We started. This is the beginning of the show. It's two o'clock. It's okay. Five. It's, it's time to get funky, but it's two o'clock on a Wednesday, which means it's 12 o'clock on a Friday, which also means it's anytime you like, anywhere you like, on a podcast. You're listening to uh, Five Star Family Fun Size fa- Fan Club. Uh, press the ident, Natalie. This is the start of the fucking show. We've started. I mean, I didn't make the rules that we started at two. You made them at midday. Uh, you made the rules. Uh, have you pressed it? So uh, you've muted yourself. We can't hear it. It's a five-second ident. It's over now. Welcome to the show. My name is Nick, and this is Nathaniel Metcalf. And you're listening to Five Star Five Family Star. Size Fan Club. To get that Friday fix in uh, lockdown. Have you got that Friday feeling, Nick? No. What I do feel is that it's a gloriously sunny day. I've closed my blinds in my... I'm going to... Do you know what? After this, in two hours' time... Within two hours this week, guys. In two hours' time, I'm going to reorganise this uh, my spare room so that it's actually practical and I can use it for good rather than evil. <laughs> um, but uh, What yeah. evil have you been using it for? I, just storing stuff. <laughs> Doesn't look messy from here. That's because I've tidied up that one bit, but look, <laughs> you know, it's literally you can't you can't walk around. I'm wearing a ring as well. Um, this was a That's ring. Awesome. This was a ring that I wore in the TV series Loaded, and it's a, a ring within a ring. So it spins around. You know, so you see, yeah, and yeah. I wore it on this thumb in the show. No, I didn't. I wore it on this finger in the show, and I used to spin it like it was a six shooter. Uh, you like um, uh, Steve McQueen in The Magnificent Seven? Were you doing that to pull focus? Yeah, yeah to pull focus in all the scenes. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I was always doing that, right, uh, in every single shot. And uh, and I loved it so much that they uh, got me one. I mean, it's like a cheap piece of shit from wherever, but they got me one, uh, a spare one to keep. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was talking to someone on the phone the other day and I stuck it on my finger and my finger's too fat and I can't get it off again. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I don't want to live what this is my most used finger. I use it for uh, communicating with people and fucking them. So <laughs> I don't, don't want to use that. Oh. upon if you don't communicate with them first. You know, that's how you do it, I guess. Um, bird, as they say. Flipping the bird's an odd term, isn't it? Flipping the bird. Why is it called a bird? Is it because it's like... A, I've always thought it's because it's like a bird on a telegraph line. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's... Talking of that, do you know how people are oh, saying... Hang on. Nature are returning and all there that. Again. Do you know how people are saying nature is returning and there's lots of, like, clear water and clear skies when no one's been going out? Yeah. Well, I, I hung my uh, washing up today uh, before before the show and I saw a robin perched on top of my pants on my uh, washing line. So it was beautiful. Um, so, so what do you think? Nature is returning? Yeah. Got a bird on, perched on my pants. Mm. Sure. 
a bit like 12 monkeys isn't it very much like 12 monkeys where very much like, like 12 a, monkeys. there's a lion is it in philadelphia is that where it's filmed is that where it's meant to be i don't know actually I, I like 12 Monkeys. I think it's Philadelphia. I like 12 Monkeys. I saw it at the cinema. My dad took me to it at the cinema. I, I, yeah, I like 12 Monkeys, but um, uh, I'm not sure about watching it now in these troubled times. <laughs> <laughs> but like Contagion is like in the top 10 of uh, things that people are watching on Netflix. Yeah. Last night, there was a, uh, after news night, which was incredibly depressing. Oh, yeah. Like, and now we're going to have. Um, uh, a, a documentary about concentration camp, and I was thinking, put something else on. <laughs> like, just put something on. Yeah. Put like, <laughs> <laughs> just uh, like put Scooby Doo on or something. <laughs> uh, uh, what channel was that? ITV, BBC Two, BBC Two after Newsnight. BBC don't have the rights to Scooby Doo, do they? So come on, think, think logically. Yeah, what would they? What would they be able to put on? Everything else has been sold to Netflix, so all they have is Holocaust documentaries. <laughs> um, so, right, that's, that's anyway. So, <laughs> my name's Dick Helm. This is Natalia Metcalf. Yeah, you're listening to Fan Club. What's the first rule of Fan Club? Tell your friends, say friends about Fan Club. Say friends about Fan Club, simple as that, it's just simple, plain and simple. What's, uh, what's the second rule of Fan Club? Please, for the love of God, tell your friends, tell your about, friends, tell your friends about Fan Club. Uh, yeah, um, so <laughs> it's harder to do that now, though, isn't it? It is harder, I guess. I think it's easier, if anything. I've literally talked to uh, no, I don't think I've talked to I haven't talked to my friends, I don't think I've talked to my friends particularly more. I've definitely talked to my family a lot more, uh, like if not every day, then almost every day. It's true, yeah. I'm That's uh, good. my mum and dad every day. That's good because you know, and then and um, it's, it's weird. It's weird because you know, uh, I'll talk to my family like like one or two times a week. Uh, one once a week, maybe maybe once every two weeks. I really don't have that much to report most of the time, <laughs> um, as li- listeners of the show <laughs> will know, and um. Uh, and so you sort of like when you talk to your family like every day, almost every day, you think that those conversations would just be sort of like uh, you know, like a digest, like it would be down to like a ten-minute chat, and then. But I find that I talk to them for like an hour every oh, yeah? time, and it's not it's lovely, yeah. You know. That is nice. I think I'm doing a ten to fifteen every day. Well, that's good as well. But I mean, how often would you normally talk to them? Maybe once a week. Yeah. Yeah. So then you can kind of like break it up. I, I also feel like it's not like this urgent chat where you need to get everything said in one go. It's like you can just be like, oh, yeah, I'm just about to have some dinner. Just check in and see how you're doing. Um, what do you think is the best way to tell your friends then in this troubling time? You could, could you shout it at two metres distance? Um, Shout at someone. The odds that you're gonna shout <laughs> shout at anyone that'll be interested in listening to this <laughs> within two meters. Oh, you like, know, scream! It's like the opposite like, of rats, isn't it? Yeah. Like, you're never with what is it? You're always within two meters of a rat. Um, 
uh, but it's not. It's like you're in within one meter of a rat, aren't you? In London. Yeah, I think so. Or one foot, or three foot, which is basically a meter. Come on, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. So, <laughs> so uh, how have you been? I've been all right. I slipped over on the stairs the other day, and I've uh, bruised bruised my anus, or coccyx, or something. Done something. <laughs> I mean, sure. it's. It's sure, the worst time to do it because all the only thing we've got to do that the government have advised is to, all you've got yeah. to do is sit at home. But it's a bit like, ah, ah. It's easier when I'm stood up and walking about. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's how I've injured myself. But also how you got that carrot stuck up there as well. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't help. <laughs> it just... It, <laughs> that was, it was like staking a vampire. <laughs> um, <laughs> or it's like it's like a steak in a vampire or carrot in your ass. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, um, I'm doing all right. I find I find I think I find self isolation easier than most because I'm an indoors person. I'm not someone that goes out a lot. I'm quite happy sat in. Um, you know, the sun's coming through my window in the morning. I don't think oh what a beautiful day. I shut my curtains so it doesn't like blur the screen you yeah. know that's sort of what i like yeah i wait for the sun to go down so i can start actually watching films on my on my screen because um the sun is it glare, it ruins it glares it glares um yeah i mean jj abrams film i was i had sort of like a profound realization uh, yesterday, I'm just trying to remember what it was because I was a bit, I, I've been drinking. Um, but it was like, uh, uh, I, was, I was just, I'm, I'm thinking about um, what it is I want out of life. And I feel like while we've been, uh, you know, just, and I also saw um, Joe Wells had tweeted something similar, and I think probably a lot of comedians. And probably a lot of people in general. I mean, I am a comedian. We are comedians. It's, uh, I, that's, it's not like that's a way of thinking. But I mean, I can only really... Also, all of my opinions and everything that I say, it can only be from me. I try and be objective about it. And I try and think about other people's uh, points of view. Um, but at the end of the day, anything that I say can only come from me. So as a comedian, by all means, apply this to your own life. I've just felt like a lot of the time I've just been swept along with the fact that we just have to keep moving forward. Like we're sharks. You just have to keep moving forward. And if you stop, then you die. And, um, and as a result, I've ended up doing stuff that I haven't necessarily wanted to do over the years, or um, I felt pressured into doing out of fear and panic and all of this other stuff. So, you know, like, for instance, I love performing. I love being on stage. Um, I, I think travel <laughs> is uh, just uh, problematic at best for me. And um, so the idea of going on a tour is sort of like you go, well, what am I meant to be doing as a comedian? How do I keep moving forward? And how do I keep improving myself as an artist? And so you go on tour, but in actual fact, it's not. It's not exactly what I personally would want to do. It's more that that is the thing that's expected of me. And, um, and, and a lot of stuff, you know, like uh, you know, certain bits of telly, 
I've done because I felt like I had to. But I, while I've been in that moment, I've been incredibly stressed about it. Um, like 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 mentally mentally ill and and stressed about it and to the point that it's had sort of like an effect on my health, my mental health and my physical health. And um, uh, and now that we've all been told to stop, it's kind of nice to sort of like what i've what i've liked about it is the fact that i've had all of that outside pressure of uh going out into the streets and uh, getting on public transport and just having to deal with daily life uh on that level which is so sort of intense some days um and i find completely overwhelming so having that taken away from me has actually uh given me headspace and also having kind of like uh you know gigs and having to having, you know the professional commitments being taken away from me mm. it's meant that i've had like some free times just to just um uh, just rethink some things um i think, I think, I think that's often, a good thing often there's things in comedy that you kind of yeah i guess i guess you do when you sort of feel like someone says oh this is an opportunity to do something and you go oh i guess i should do that and i think perhaps I often think I probably did the opposite and then often because I'd always did it alongside having a job there were things that came up that I said oh do you want to do this and I think about it and go mm, no and so I'd go no thanks no I'm all right so I didn't actually want to do them I could see that why it would be a good thing to do mm. but often it would be like no I don't think I'd be very good at that or I often think that thing about I think someone else would be better at that than me do you know what I mean? Like it's like I don't think I'm the right person. Oh yeah, I've had I've had meetings with people, <laughs> which now seems insane. But I've had meetings with people where they've said, "We'd like you to do this," and I've gone, "Do you know who'd be good at that?" <laughs> and I've gone, "Rob Gilbert, get him to." Do you know what I mean? It'd be like just get someone. Get I could do it, but it'd be a stretch. But do you know who would be exactly right for that? Yeah, I think that's where I always, my, my thing is always to go, oh, no, have you thought about this person? They'd be ace for that. Mm. That's not really my thing at all. It's not really what I do. Mm. And I, like in hindsight, sometimes I think, is that like idiotic to do? But I always think like, I actually think, like my thing is always like, I want the, the end product to be better. And you almost want to go, no, I'd say it would be better if someone else did it. <laughs> and then I can watch it, and I can say, "Oh no, they've messed it up." <laughs> um, no, but I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm, it's not really specifically that. It's, it's more to do with the fact that we've just been all put on sort of like everyone, except for you know key workers. Um, but everyone's been sort of like put on hold, and, and it just sort of like gives you gives you a breathing room where you don't actually. We, this is sort of this has never happened before yeah and you'll never, never get it again it's never happened for everyone at the same time so just be able to take a pause if, if you go on holiday you know things are going on without you you know i had to make a decision a couple of years ago whether i went on holiday or i did edinburgh do you know what i mean and i've done edinburgh and i didn't want to do edinburgh so i didn't do edinburgh i took the year off to do writing but it was are you going, you know, while I went away and I had a holiday, at the same time, you know, subconsciously, I was aware that there was this whole thing going on. 
at, at the same time. This whole thing that um, was creating uh, new new comedians, a new generation of comedians were, were coming up, and uh, and uh, people were struggling and having difficult shows or amazing shows. Just just this whole the whole landscape of comedy was being changed in Edinburgh uh, while I was off on holiday. And this is the thing where it's just like, all oh, right, we're not on holiday, but the but but everything is paused. So it's not like you're there going, oh God, everything's changed. You know, um, what fear of missing FOMO. It's not like you're thinking, oh God, it's literally, it's you, there's nothing to do but sort of like. And I'm not. I get, that. I get that every time I don't go to Edinburgh. I always feel like I'm missing out, and I should go. And there is that thing where the world of it does move on. And suddenly there's all these um, younger people that uh, everyone's very excited about. You kind of realise that's how it works, though, and that's the sort of one of the silly things about Edinburgh, where it's all kind of PR-based. And, like, when I did my first year, it was very easy for my PR to get me press because they can say, this guy's new. You don't know who he is. And the second year, it's like, it's that guy from last year. We're not falling for that one again. (laughs) Yeah, which was a problem in my case. Yeah. <laughs> you know, fool, fool me once. Yeah, but that's the thing. But, but that's just, that's just, just an age of Edinburgh. Where um, it, the press thing, I mean, it's literally about kind of like constructing a story. Some sort yeah. of it's it's basically it's for newspapers have to be able to sell a story, you know they can't just say oh there's that Nathaniel Metcalf doing another show because everyone's doing another show. I know I understand it, it's, don't you? It's, but it's not about it's just like what is the angle for these shows? And so they're only going to write about people that they've got an angle for. I got loads of press last year, but like everyone, everyone wanted to review me. But I did a thing where I do. I always do a thing where I don't let people in for the first two days because the show is shit. <laughs> so why would you know? So I use my preview days as previews, and then by like the third or fourth day, the show is pretty much up and running. So then you have pressing. So I had fucking tons of press coming. But it's a, it's because you hold people back for the first few days, and b, it's because I hadn't done Edinburgh for five. Was it five years or six years? I think it was. I think it was six years it was the sixth year so and so they were just, so they had a news story which is sort of like oh well um this guy's returning to edinburgh after a break it might not be the best angle ever but it's an angle that people can write about other than someone's doing another show so so i i, I think it's not that it's cynical but i think it's actually really straightforward like that which isn't just sort of like you're not there's so many comedians that uh, that each comedian is not entitled to get coverage in a newspaper, you know, and you have to sort of like think about how you want to how you want to get the coverage. But anyway, that's that's the part I don't want to think about any of this stuff. Why am I thinking about this stuff? I don't want to. I want to think no, but I want to think about uh, being creative. I don't give a fuck about getting press into my shows. And I don't give a, you know, I want to think about how I can best be creative and best being creative isn't living in a world where I'm terrified 
uh, and uh, I'm terrified about moving forward or backwards. And it's just like, you know, you're just paralyzed with fear most of the time. Mm. All of your decisions come from the fact with, well, maybe if I do this, more people will see this. And maybe, and actually, I just, I'm just rethinking about how I feel about all of that. Um, and, uh, but not like loads and loads. I'm just sort of like a lot more relaxed at the moment. Um, that wasn't my epiphany. Uh, I've sort of like been treading water, trying to remember it while I'm talking. It's very difficult. Uh, you'll know if you host a radio show or a podcast, very little thinking time. It's just um, talking. <laughs> but what you're saying is when you remove yourself, the, the you of yourself, you can actually see more of what you want to do rather than you being in the world or you being part of like a, the rat race of, of it. Yeah. When you remove everyone else, then you can, and, and, you, and you just like go, right, well, I'm not missing out on opportunities. I'm not kind of like messing up my future. I'm not kind of like trampling all over a legacy. Or do you know what I mean? Whatever, whatever your fears or thoughts are, it's just kind of like when you remove all of that, you can just like go, all right, what am I doing today? Have I got any ideas? Have I got any thoughts? And the fact is, um, or it's just like have a fallow period where you're just sort of like not thinking about being creative and not thinking about just thinking like I've spent some time with myself, you know, I'm living on my own and, um, uh, and I don't, hate my own company which is a revelation i used to be scared of sort of like spending time by myself there'd always be something on in the background and now it's just kind of like i'm just sort of like getting used to myself and realizing that i'm not the biggest cunt on the planet you know what i mean so it's like so yeah so i'm finding it you know on a personal level because you can't you know I wouldn't choose. I wouldn't have chosen this. You'd be a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> but now, but, but but now we're all in this situation, yeah. and we're all in it together. But we're all in it individually, going through our. Even if we're living with other people at the time, you know, we're all going through it in our own personal way, and um, and it's just sort of like try, trying to make the best out of the situation. It's and are you treating it like a pause, or are you treating it like? I can do something now. No, I'm not thinking like I can do something now. I'm not taking it as a, I, I, uh, I feel like, um, I'm, uh, yeah, this week I'm, I'm kicking into gear and I'm doing stuff, but up till now I've kind of like, at first I was really sort of like beating myself and trying to get stuff done. This is my opportunity. And then I looked around and I saw, um, I saw sort of what that looked like and um, I was just like, actually, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. And actually that's just the same as what it was before this. Yeah. Only worse because you're absolutely totally reliant on yourself. Oh my God. I need to learn technology so that I can, you know, uh, post uh, videos of myself dancing in my kitchen. And it's just kind of like, I don't, I'm, I don't have that. I don't feel that need at the moment, you know, two weeks time. Although I've got like ideas for stuff that I want to do, but I'm kind of like quite relaxed about it. And, um, 
But at first, see, I would say for the first couple of weeks, I was, um, well, I was ill for two weeks. And then two weeks I spent going, oh, God, got to work out what to do. And then it's just sort of like, actually, that's making me feel awful. And so I stopped thinking about that. And I've stopped thinking about the outside world and all of that. And now I'm just thinking about what it is that I want. That's good. So what, I, what I don't want is to be stressed and to be ill all the time, like I was before. For years and years i wrote a show about it i wrote a show about being mentally ill which uh, you know we've just had our new dates and it's for you know a year's time in one year i'll be gigging my show from 19 uh, 2019 and it's like oh god it's great that we'll be doing i mean it might be that show but i might have written something else by then but um you know and it's a show about being mentally ill and being being sick and not being able to leave my house and the funny thing is now that i'm actually not allowed to leave my house i'm <laughs> i'm fine well, uh, so well, I, uh, well i guess you've also i think sometimes opportunity isn't isn't the best thing either right i think opportunity gives you like almost gives you more kind of crippling things that you should be doing like sometimes i had that where you'd feel like well i really ought to do that because when am i going to get asked to do that again but I don't really want to do it. I, and I think there's some sort of, there's almost a benefit sometimes in not having that opportunity because <laughs> I don't have to think that way. I don't, I get to do for the most part in, in the kind of stand up comedy world, I get to do exactly what I want because yeah. it's not something I need to rely on or need to go. What's, where's my money coming from? And I think that's lucky in some way. Um, and I do, I think like, I think I'm quite good at that and saying no to things that I think I'll be good at. And I try and just do things I think I'll do well with and things I like doing and working yeah. with people I like working with. Because if I don't do that, it's a bit, it's a bit like, what's the point of doing it? Like I've got, I've had jobs while I've been doing it. And what's the point of making this another job that you feel a bit like, Oh, I don't want to go and do that. Yeah. It's like, it's, it should be like the fun. It's like, thing. It's like don't make your hobby a career. Hmm. There was a boat builder who used to build boats and then he made it his career and then he was just worried about where he was going to get wood from the whole time. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's like, you can, you can apply that to anything. But I mean, that's, that's, that's lovely. If you're, not, if you're not relying on comedy or whatever as your source of income, then you can literally just do it for yourself. You know what I mean? It's like um, David Erlis always felt like that with brian kitten yeah he can take it or leave it like it's the best thing you've ever seen yeah. or it's the worst thing you've ever seen <laughs> he can take it or leave it and he genuinely doesn't seem to give a fuck mm. you know but in like a kind of way where he goes that's really interesting i definitely <laughs> drift into bits where i feel more ambitious and more times when i'm a bit more like oh how have i got here what am i i'm not doing anything i'm not getting anything done but then at the same time, I know that someone says, do you want X amount of money to do this gig? And I go, that gig sounds horrible. No. <laughs> you couldn't pay me enough to do that. Yeah. It just doesn't feel like, well, sometimes it's like, oh, then I have that thing like, well, should I learn to do this horrible gig? And you go, why? Just be miserable, have a terrible time, and then go back and go, okay. I understand the thing a bit. I think sometimes that is good. And I, I sort of vacillate between both points and go, Actually, maybe I should do that and have a really. 
Oh, yeah, I would say more often than not, the stuff I've done for money or for career reasons is the stuff that I've enjoyed the least. Yeah. You know, but you get that with everything. Mm. And the, the world isn't all, you know, sunflowers and butterflies and rainbows where, oh, I'm so lucky. I get to do a job where I enjoy absolutely every fucking thing that I do. I can pick and choose. It's just like, who deserves a fucking life as blessed as that? <laughs> Every so often, you have to do a talking head anthology show about the 1980s on Channel 5. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I would like that's, that. That's part, of, that's, part of, that's part of the give and take of the industry. Yeah. <laughs> so do you think you're, co you're coming out of it refreshed with full of ideas and vim? Yes. Yeah. No, that's literally what I'm saying. I'm not using it for that. I'm not using this time to think about, and it's great that people are doing it, but what I'm saying is I'm not sitting around thinking, um, how can I improve my career out of this? Yes, yeah, yeah. I'm sitting around thinking, if I'm thinking about anything, um, and do you know what? I overthink everything all the time. All the time, you know me. I, I overthink everything, right? And um, and I'm not at the moment. And do you know what? I'm giving myself a break, ironically, from myself. And that's all I've got. Do you know what I mean? Stuck you in, found that you actually quite like yourself. Stuck in this fucking flat by myself sounds like a fucking nightmare. But in actual fact, I'm being kind to myself. I'm not just being kind to myself. I like, oh, don't worry about, you know, uh, getting dressed today <laughs> but like just being just sort of like I'm doing as uh, do more valuable work that will benefit me in the long run mm. than uh, writing a coronavirus song that will uh, someone will watch and do you know what I mean and, and then be forgotten about next week and they'll be like well what do I do this week to stay in the, the I'm just doing some tweets every day I'm doing some Instagram every day just because it's sort of sociable um, people write to me I write back I enjoy communicate I've always enjoyed communicating with nice fans nice people um, and that, that's that, that's great but I don't I'm not, I'm not thinking about the short term and what's happening right now. I'm just thinking about the long term and how do I make a career out of this? Yeah. As in, how do I make a career out of... It's, it all happened so quickly. 2006, I did my first gig. It got out of hand. I had three TV series or whatever it was in 2013, 2014. It just, like, all, all you know went through a massive breakup in 2015, never got back on my feet about that. And then was just constantly scrambling for the, the last five years, trying to sort of like go, well, maybe if I go over here, maybe if I go over here and I'm not over my ex. And there was just all of this fucking awful stuff that happened, you know? And um, at no point did I stop and just sort of like think what, it, uh, you know, I'm just constantly just thinking, throw myself into work, keep moving forward. And actually for everything has stopped, <laughs> You know, and so it's just like, right, okay, well, what is it? And bit by bit, I'm just thinking about what it is that I want. You know, hopefully when, I, when we all come out of this, one thing I'll have learned is what stuff I'm happy to turn down. Yeah. 
what stuff I'm happy not to do. Yeah. And what stuff, in actual fact, if I don't do, will make me happier as a person. Yeah. Whether that be specific gigs or, um, uh, you know, specific events or um, putting myself in harm's way where I know that there are situations that will that will trigger me and stuff like that. You know, I don't I don't know what it is I'm thinking about it, but I think that for me at the moment is more valuable than trying to come up with immediate content. Hmm. I think you get that with like when you see even like the very biggest comedians in the country, it almost feels like their career feels quite prescribed. And it's that thing where all of them do a tour maybe every other year. Or something. Every year you do a show every year, you keep it going. Yeah. And it's sort of like that first Edinburgh was amazing. And maybe the second show was good. But then the third to the fourth, I really felt like the pressure of doing Edinburgh every year. I just, my shows got bigger and bigger and bigger uh, to, to the point where, you know, and I was making them in my garage. <laughs> it wasn't like I had a team of people helping me. My shows got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it's just kind of like, I'm talking about me. I think that, you know, if you're, um, one of the best shows I've done was uh, Phoenix from the Flames last year that, um, that is back on tour, back on sale or the dates have moved or whatever. But that's one of the best shows I've done. That's absolutely because I wasn't concentrating on cranking out a show every year. It was literally, I allowed myself to grow as a p performer. And then I sort of like went back at it and was just like, oh, this is who I am now. Yeah. I sort of rediscovered myself through the show. And also I think enough time was passed that you weren't, people weren't comparing you to your last show. They're comparing all of everything you've done. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's more like... That whole thing is just, is, is bollocks anyway. You know, my, uh, you know, my, my favourite show before then was my 2012 show, uh, This Means War, which got so many four-star reviews, never a five. They got so many four-star reviews that you couldn't see the poster, right? Mm. And then the next year, uh, Bruce DeSau called it disappointing. And you go, yeah. and I know how many four-stars show, you got 11 four-star reviews. And you go, disappointing. <laughs> and that's because it was followed up, it was following up this means war. Which was, you get to do that thing where you do a kind of thing, people go, this is great. I've never seen something like this before. Then you do another thing that's also by you, and people go, "Oh yeah, yeah, no, I've seen him do this type of thing. Yeah. I've seen this before." Then you go, "Yeah, of course you have. That's, that's what I do. Up. Yeah, that's what they do. That's what I do. You don't go into McDonald's and go, oh, burgers again. <laughs> it's like that's what you go for. It's you like, had burgers last night. Oh, I went to see Jimmy Carr the other night. It was just more one-liners. <laughs> yeah, you know, they were different one-liners, they weren't they? Yeah." Like they're different songs, yeah. They're different insults. They're different set pieces. Do you know what I mean? It's just like it's a different show, um, and also it's just kind of like. It's, but 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 going back to what we're talking about, being on that conveyor belt, it's just kind of like yeah, those Edinburgh shows that I was that I used to write, they were part of a. What do people expect of me? Uh, and then somewhere in the mix is what do I find funny do you know what I mean but it's not it didn't start with what do I find, find funny it started mm. with you know I did I did 10 years of Edinburgh shows that no one came to see and every single one of them was completely different from each other you know 
there'd be spoken word shows and musicals and comedy shows and seminars and they'd just all be different from each other and then all of a sudden you do stand up and then it's kind of like i know how to do this i've got i've got let's say three months to write an edinburgh show i've got a format i'll do it but it's um but, but that's I think you can apply that to sort of life in a way where you just like go right we just keep making the same mistakes over and over again and maybe small fixes along the way and maybe things will improve and maybe things maybe i've made some improvements and maybe i've made some you know um unimprovements what's the opposite um but um but that's what life is it's kind of like your conscious a juggernaut you know oh i'm married oh i've got kids oh you know and it's kind of like you're constantly, and this is it's just it's just a really weird time. Who knows what it'll be like on the inside of it? Yeah, I think that's the sort of mad thing about it. It's quite it's kind of interesting <laughs> that none of us really have any idea about how this will end. So it's almost that, and I think even with with like writing things, it feels a bit kind of who knows how people will be thinking at the end of it. You know, yeah. you've just got to sort of deal with it quite personally. I think. I've got, you know, I've got, I've got a sitcom idea. Do you rewrite it to include uh, the events of 2020, or do you just pretend it didn't happen? Yeah. It's, who, who knows? And I'm not. I, I, do you know what? We don't need to know. You know, the worst. No, I won't say that. <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't. I haven't got. You know. I'm just sort of like, we don't need to know the answers at this point. It's not our responsibility. To know it's our responsibility to stay indoors, look out for ourselves and look out for other people. That's our responsibility at the moment, is not to go around killing each other, right? And after that, it's not our responsibility to single-handedly uh, fix the comedy industry and uh, to f fix uh, the uh, economic uh, crisis or to do any, you know, to do any of this. It's not our responsibility to do that, right? We just need to sort of like make sure that we do our bit. And, um, and our bit is do as little as possible. And in that window, with, in trying not to make things worse, it gives us a little window where we can kind of like try and make ourselves better maybe. Mm. Um, but I know that will it go back to being the same? I fucking hope not, because I was killing myself. Mm. So if anything good comes out of this, it, maybe it's the fact that um, I work out a way of dealing with my mental health. Better. Yeah, and I think I think with that kind of career, you can be like you're treading water in the best way possible. You're treading water being successful, but you can also try and think about it like how do I maintain this? until I'm 65 or 70, do you know what I mean? How can I keep myself employed in this kind of world for a long time rather than thinking of it like, I know I know the next tour ends in six months or whatever, I'm all right till then, and then what? Yeah, that's a fucking... What, what, can you, what can you... Hand to mouth. Do every day that's going to be like satisfying and keep you, you know, in, in food and drink and whatever. But also being in a career where you think, I don't want to be doing this when I'm 60. How can I make as much money now and get out of it as soon as possible? Yeah. And actually, no. Um, well, you know, I do, I do what I do. You do what you do. They do what they do. There's only one of you. 
And only one person does what you do. Um, you can't say that for everyone, but like, um, how do you how do you do that for the rest of your life to make you know in a way that makes you happy mm. without thinking about immediate gratification, exactly. immediate payoffs? I want everything now because that's what everyone else seems to have. Yeah, and, uh, and you just need to. I I, have, I used to have a phrase that I used to use. When I when I was talking to younger comedians, that I somehow forgot, and it was, um, you know, it was don't spend all of your time looking over your garden fence at everyone else's gardens. If you do that, your own lawn overgrows, mm-hmm. and it's just kind of like you just want to spend time on your own garden. Yeah, not worry about what everyone else is doing with their gardens, and then you know, you look after look after your lawn. And uh, uh, and don't focus on what everyone else is doing. And I think it's just a happier life. Mm. And um, yeah, so that's what. But that's still not the, my that's still not my epiphany. I can't remember. I did, I, it was in three parts, and uh, and one of the parts is not broadcastable because it makes me sound like an egomaniac. But there was one part which is broadcastable, which you go. Oh yeah, that's that's kind of like a universal. I'm only saying this stuff uh, because I think there's some sort of universal truth in it that other people can kind of like gain something from. Maybe you know, any I, I've always tried to write things that are specifically about me because I think the more specific you are, the more people can relate to it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you try and please everyone, then everyone, no one leaves happy. You know. Yeah. Whereas if you try and write about a specific instance in a specific breakup, the amount of people that tell me that they relate to songs that I wrote or poems that I wrote that was so personal and specifically about me, you know. Um, I think one of the it's, maddest a, it's a universal thing. I was going to say I think one of the maddest things in comedy is that idea that I always think that I am my own biggest fan, which is tragic. But I think when I'm writing stuff, I always think, would I find this funny? And that's what I need to, and I don't try and think about other people so much as like, if someone else said this, would I find it funny? Yeah. And that's who you're kind of writing for. You're your own but, best audience. But I also don't think that's true now. I think that you have many, many large fans within the industry. Oh no, but like, I mean, it's trying to be funny. I know what you're saying. If I was to say I am my own biggest fan, I don't think there's a single person in the world that would doubt that. Right? But I think uh, I think that if when you say it, uh, it's, uh, it's it's not true. People look forward to seeing you on stage. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I, I think I look forward to it less than them. <laughs> yeah, of course you do. But like, <laughs> Of course you fucking do. <laughs> yeah, you know, but I think that's just, that's universal. <laughs> or maybe it's not. Maybe I, I whenever I hear a performer go on about, oh, I can't wait to get on stage. I just think, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> because there's always sort of like I've got my walk on music or my warm up music playing, and everyone's sort of like taking selfies and they're like posting them online saying, oh, we had to see the camera, and I'm backstage going. I would literally do anything not to be here right now. Uh, 
but I, you know, I do anything not to be at a, a comedy gig, whether I'm in it or not. <laughs> you know, it's the last thing I fucking want. But yeah, anyway, um, we should probably play a song and then do some fun. We haven't talked about anything. No. Of any substance. But we're back now. We're back now. We can do it we anytime. We've got, we got one a week. Um, we'll, do some, uh, we'll, we'll play a song and then, uh, we'll, then we'll come back. So hit that, hit that wheel, Natalie. Play the song. Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on Fubar Radio. And we're back. This is uh, fan mail. I'm just finishing off. This is fan mail. <laughs> Welcome to fan mail. Uh, I'm just finishing off a message, uh, Nat. Oh right, okay. Shall I start the fan mail? No. Just say something. Um, I was going to say, I hope everyone is staying indoors. I know we've been talking a lot about staying indoors and staying happy and things. But I do remember that lots of people, of course, do have to go out, and I appreciate the people that do need to do things and have essential jobs and things. I just wanted, yeah, I, uh, do you know what I was going to say? Um, uh, I was talking to a friend and she, she was saying that one of her friends uh, is one of the cleaners at Sainsbury's and they have to, you know, go in and clean Sainsbury's at like 11 o'clock at night every night and it's a shit job and uh, uh, her friend was saying that they don't get treated that well by like even the other staff and it's kind of like, um, you know what? Uh, thanks very much. This is, uh, you know, for people that work in the supermarkets and people that are collecting all of our rubbish, and there's more of it at the moment, I imagine. Um, you know, just thanks to everyone that's sort of like keeping the world going while we're all inside. Because um, yeah. sometimes you go having when you're saying, "Oh, I've got to stay in" and all this, and I'm perfectly happy with it. It just feels sometimes you go. I guess some people don't have that option as well. So. There's some ways that you kind of go, and I'm very lucky to be in that position. Maybe as a bin man, you haven't noticed that much difference because the streets are so empty. But they normally are at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I would imagine for everyone else, that um, Charlton Heston kind of uh, novelty of being the last man on earth has worn off now. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we still got to do the job though, haven't we? Um, so... So, yeah, uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, it was Easter. It was Easter. It was. I found, I, I, went to, I went to the shop to get some essential food yesterday. And on my way back, I found a tiny little uh, Easter egg, like tiny, that had been put in the, uh, 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 what do you call it, in the door jam of my, of my door in my flat. And then I looked up and down all the halls and some little Easter bunny had gone around and delivered a little mini chocolate Easter egg to all of the doors down my corridor. Was it wrapped or was it just like a mini egg? Just No, it was, it, it was wrapped and it was very sweet, but I put it straight in the bin, obviously, because I'm not, <laughs> I don't know where their hands have been, but um, yeah, it was a nice thought. <laughs> what what did you, I, I saw as a, a really nasty Easter surprise on uh, Bank Holiday Monday that they showed uh, Crystal Skull. So I was just thinking, <laughs> oh, this is great. This is one way to get 
to make everyone watch it. Actually, it's not. It's on BBC. I was thinking... Because they showed they... them all, right? They showed them all over the weekend. Did they? Did they, uh, did they plan on doing that? I've no idea. I've no idea. Or was this a special COVID treat? I don't know. I guess it was Easter, wasn't it? They'd probably show her. Indiana Jones is quite a good Easter fair. I remember the bank holiday or the last day of the Christmas holidays one year. They showed Last Crusade. That was sort of good news, bad news, because you watched it, but you also knew it's the end of... This is the last Christmas movie. And then we're back to school. Thank fuck. Thank fuck we don't have to go to school anymore. <laughs> I've just... I, there's, there's, every so often, that thought will occur to me. Just like, hey, Nick, you, no matter what, you never have to go to school again. And it's just like, thank fuck for that. Every day is a school day. <laughs> but thank that dreams fuck. that I haven't finished something, though. But someone's what? like, you know, you haven't done, you know, that coursework or something. They go, do I? Oh, God, I've got to go in and do it. Got to hand it in. Oh, God. No. You ever have dreams like that? Uh, no, my dreams are awful. I <laughs> 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 uh, have real, real awful nightmare, night terrors. But, um, but no, I don't have anything as bad as having to go back to school. Uh, they, that would be that would be the worst. I was thinking, you know, on EastEnders, going back to EastEnders, and they've stopped production, haven't they? And uh, so, but they still seem to be showing them. And normally, if something big happens in the world, you have like they'll film a bit of EastEnders where it will be one of the characters going, "Oh God, have you heard about Nelson Mandela dying?" And they film yeah. a little scene where they sort of acknowledge something big in the in the news. But now it's like EastEnders exists in a parallel present. Yeah. And you're watching it and it's like, this is meant to be happening now, but everyone's just out. There's no corona in Albert Square. So I feel like they've done this thing where they've tried to mirror what's happening in the real world all the time by saying, it's Easter, we have Christmas at the same time. If there's a big world event, it acknowledges it, except this did they, doesn't. Did, did they acknowledge September 11th in EastEnders? I think so. A cutscene with Pat going, oh, bloody hell. Do you about 9-11? I bet they did. <laughs> and, then, and then they moved on. <laughs> and someone else says, yeah, I did. But they do have these little scenes they, just to acknowledge something. It's really short-sighted. They could have easily filled for uh, this. They could have just literally set up a bunch of cameras in Albert Square and occasionally seen someone crossing the street to go into the shop and then coming back again. <laughs> and that's, they could have done that for four months. And then they could have just put the, the, the TV back. They should. I think that's exactly They could have just put the series back to what it was. They should pause it now while they're not filming. And when it starts up again, they start showing them again. And in the meantime, they do like, like an isolation one that's all filmed over Zoom with them talking to each other about it. And then you just pick it right up from where you left off. Because now I feel like, the, the, we're, like EastEnders is like sci-fi now because it's not in the same world as us. It's like... Um, it's it's alternative present. It's um, what do they call it in? Uh, it's a multiverse. Yeah, what's well, Back to the Future too when that happens? When um, they go back how, to an alternative timeline. What? Yeah, it's like that alternative timeline. It sort of is. Sort of is, and it isn't. It is. It is. <laughs> I remember what that other thing was. The other thing was, um, I'm not thinking about comedy at the moment, particularly. So, it's the flame for anyone listening. <clears throat> say again. 
It's a shame for anyone listening. Fuck them. <laughs> Where, where's their podcast? So, um, uh, but if I'm, I'm not thinking about comedy at the moment, yeah. So what I'm doing is I'm sort of like doing DIY, and I'm cooking, and I'm talking to my uh, uh, family, and I'm talking to my friends. I'm getting on and doing stuff that's not comedy related, and I'm realising that within myself, I am happy. And then as soon as I go on uh, Twitter, and I go back to that, looking at what other people are doing and feeling like, I should be doing um, a, a, a video and I should be doing like a music video in my living room and I should be, you know, uh, posting uh, my wake up routine and get, you know, as soon as I think about all of that, I suddenly start panicking and comparing myself to other people and going, oh God, why is that? But when I just focus on not comedy, but me and my skills, look at my skills and I look at what I can do. There's a whole list of stuff that I am either good at or um, proficient at. And, you know, and I'm happy with that. And then as soon as you go into this thing, which is a competitive industry where you're comparing yourself to other people, and then you go, actually, I feel shit about myself. And I feel like I'm not enough and I'm not doing enough. But when you just focus on yourself, you realise that you're enough. You know? And I think that's something that I've learned, where it's kind of like uh, I will see comedy as a thing that I participate in, or I am seeing as comedy as something that I participate in, but it's not who I am. Mm. Yeah. I'm, I'm drawing a line uh, between that. Yeah. But I think I'm, as well, like... I'm keeping like, something for myself. I think it feels that way, but I don't think comedy is a competition. I think it's like, like you're saying, I think you're the only person that can do what you do. So you're unique in that. Everyone's got their own unique thing. Yeah, but I think I said that off air. Okay, but I think you do. Like you do. Have, <laughs> but I think you do have something which is like you—you're not like everyone else. I'm not so like anyone else. Competition with yourself. You're not in competition with anyone else. No, but that's the thing that I always thought. That's the thing I've always said about what I do and and comedy. It's just sort of like I mean, I don't feel I don't feel competitive in that respect. I feel like you know only only I do what I do. But then on the other level you can feel like um, it's your income it's yes. your, it's your, it's your, and, and you would like uh, to do a job that uh, has a payday so that you can keep living and, do, and plan a future for yourself whether that be a family or a holiday or something you know as a, as a I suppose as a comedian you don't ever really allow yourself any time off you know, because you always feel like, well, where's the next job coming from? Hmm. But maybe this is, you know, I did take it. I did take some time off, but I took some time off to do writing and stuff. Hmm. And this is actually just sort of like um, an externally, uh, what do you call it? An externally mandated kind of yeah. gardening leave, except we're not allowed in the garden. <laughs> oh, <laughs> if you've got a garden, I'm sure you're allowed in your garden. I've got communal gardens. They're very um we're, not, we're probably not allowed in your gardens no but but i mean why not two meters away <laughs> come and come and visit me in in one of my communal gardens just standing in people's gardens staring into their window two meters distance the communal gardens what other people's gardens yeah just stand there and watch them 
every day's a bank holiday at the moment, surely. Barbecues left, right and centre. It's amazing how I like, go outside. On every day, rather than um, a documentary about a concentration camp at a time when you go, not now, not now, guys. That's, that's weird, isn't it? Because um, I've got a box set, so... Um, so I can just watch a concentration camp documentary whenever I want. So it's nice to watch a bit of Indiana Jones. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It's not that bad, is it, Crystal Skull? I don't mind it. It's shit, mind. actually. Now I think no. about it, it's shit. No, I don't um, what, What's your favourite Indiana Jones? Crystal Skull. Last Crusade, I think. I think it is Last Crusade, but I find... Somebody asked me in the week on Twitter, and it's, you only have like a certain amount of... I refuse to just sort of like justify myself that much on Twitter. Mm-hmm. But you only have a certain amount of characters to sort of discuss it. What is your favourite? It's definitely not... I, it might have been Temple of Doom, but I think um, uh, Kate Capshaw ruins it. And obviously that's Spielberg telling her to do that. Mm. I don't think necessarily the character... I mean, I'm sure that there is a performance of that character. I don't really blame Kate Capshaw for that. Mm-hmm. And, I don't, and everyone says, oh, well, George was going through a dark period where he was going through a divorce, and that's why it's so much darker. It's like The dark elements aren't the things that upset me about that film. The dark stuff is great, I think, but their way of counterbalancing the dark stuff with the light stuff, and the light stuff is Willie Scott just screaming for the entire film. And you're just like, she's just got to be one of the most irritating characters to ever turn up in a franchise. I think she's worse than Jar Jar Binks. Because <laughs> it's like, at least Jar Jar Binks was meant to appeal for chi- appeal to children. I don't know who Kate Capshaw was meant to appeal to anyone, like male, female, young, old. Who is that appealing to? It's just one of the most irritating performances in any uh, series of films, in any film almost. I think it's unwatchable. So I think she sees seeing uh, Last Crusade at the cinema, and I think that's why. So I would have seen it when I was nine or something. Nineteen eighty nine was that? Yeah, I think so. So I probably would have been ten. So same and, year as Back to the Future two and uh, Batman and uh, what was the other film I was going to say? It's the same year as Indiana Jones. Abyss. No, wasn't that ninety? The Abyss. I think it's eighty nine. Oh, maybe it's 90. Oh, maybe it's 90. When was Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Was that 89? I think that's 88. Um, Die Hard was 88. I mean, this is... Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, obviously. Indiana Jones 3 uh, was the same year as Police Academy 6. So I distinctly remember in the, um, in the dining hall, there were kids that were coming in having seen... I never saw it. I, didn't, I wasn't really into Indiana Jones at that point. That, um, I think Star Wars probably got me into Indiana Jones. Or LucasArts, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Monkey Island. And then, the, uh, and then once you finished Monkey Island, there was sort of like a similar Indiana Jones game. And, um, but uh, people were either talking about Last Crusade or they were talking about Police Academy 6. <laughs> Those are the big ones. Two franchises that I had not really got into. Very think, big thing in my school. Indiana Jones was too scary for me. I remember the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark and it gave me nightmares. I remember the bats flying in Temple of Doom. That was on TV when I was in London. And uh, that was terrifying. And then uh, Last Crusade, I 
was a gap. There was just a gap, but I didn't see. I probably didn't see it until that Christmas that I just mentioned. At the end of the Christmas holiday. It's good though, isn't it? It's a great film. I think it's. I think that's why. I think it has the most sort of fun memories of me seeing it at the cinema. And it was the only one I would have seen at the cinema, I think. I think I might have seen, maybe I saw Temple of Doom later. You'd have been 10. Yeah, so I think, I'm sure that was the first time I saw it at the cinema. <clears throat> you were just the right age, maybe. Yeah. And it but just... maybe it would have been, no, because there's nothing too grim in that, is there? There's the rats. Yeah, and that was horrible, but I loved it. It's weird, isn't it, though? They've done insects and they've done snakes. So in the first one, they do snakes. In the second one, they do insects. Third one, they do rats. So the fourth one should be spiders, right? But it's no, it's ants. You know, nobody's got a fear of ants. What are you doing? <laughs> should have definitely been spiders. But I think people's reactions to spiders are so intense. Yes. That unless it's a specific film that is like arachnophobia where we're going to deal with spiders here, guys. You've got to know that going in. Even something like Spider-Man. I was genuinely nervous about going into Spider-Man because I knew he gets bitten by a spider. It's just like, how much spider action is going to be in this? And then it's just like, I'm terrified. So, yeah, it's like, I I can't function. And um, and so in Spider-Man, when you see this little spider, they found like the least offensive. Just keep it still. Right, okay. Are you going to include this in the video section so that people know what... Even during COVID. You can type it in. Type it into the thing. Um, um, what were we saying now? Spiders. Spider-Man. So even the spider that they use in Spider-Man is like the least offensive spider that they could have picked. You know, no one's getting scared about that. But So I think that if you put spiders in an Indiana Jones film, it'd be like, oh God. There'd be like people walking out or passing out or just not coming through the film. That reminds me, though, that uh, we should probably do some fan mail in a minute. But I remember seeing Arachnophobia at the cinema, and that was terrifying. Such a... Te- like, for a film that I think was a PG, right? Yeah. It, it terrified me. I couldn't believe how, like, uh, I was jumping all over the place and, like, could barely watch most of it. It's like Jaws, isn't it? Well, Jaws, I think, really should be... <laughs> shouldn't be a PG. I think it's a 12 yeah. now, right? Yeah. Terminator's a 15... Uh, what else is a 15? I was watching something that was that's a 15 now. Police Academy 1. No, uh, that's always been a 15, mate. There's tits in it. Um, um, Gremlins is a 15, isn't it? Rather than a... Well, that's probably a 12 now, isn't it? Maybe it is now. Um, I think Gremlins was always a 15. Uh, I watched something that was a 15. Terminator's a 15 now, but there was something else that's, that's a 15. Um, uh, oh, American Werewolf in London's a 15 now. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Um, which I think is probably a bit wrong. I, it's the it's the little flap of skin he's got in his neck when he when Griffin Dunn comes back as the, <laughs> as the undead, and when he talks, he's got this little flap of skin that sort of jiggles around, and it's it's the, the most disgusting thing you've ever seen. It's only in that one scene when he's eating toast, but fucking hell, it's just it it everything else could be like a solid mold. That that is definitely like fleshy, um, but uh, I should, um, I should but, point out as well that I don't know what the thing Natalie was trying to tell us was. Oh, so it was. Um, I don't know. Oh, it was that we should do fan mail in a minute. Okay. But she also said we should talk about what we've been a fan of this week, and that's exactly what we're doing. So it's almost impossible to keep her happy. <laughs> um, but but what I was going to say about Temple Zoom is 
Um, I think the comedy in Raiders of the Lost Ark and everything about that film is seamless. And um, I, I think I, Sean Connery in Last Crusade is just, he's incredible. Like that relationship, someone was pointing out that, um, someone, I watched a YouTube thing and someone was basically saying that it wasn't until Highlander and the Untouchables and maybe it was the Untouchables <clears throat> that basically Sean Connery started getting used now as like the elder state person. Up until then, he was the lead. Mm -hmm. And then they used him as kind of like an Obi-Wan Kenobi figure yeah. uh, where he would be like the older guy, like teaching the new guy. And, um, and then basically what you've got with Last Crusade is like the epitome of that. You've got like James Bond kind of coming in and being Indiana Jones's dad. And I think that that's, um, that's really cool. But I find uh, the comedy and some of the set pieces like fairly heavy handed in Last Crusade in a way that's sort of like really signposted. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was more, uh, maybe it is slightly more kiddie friendly then. I don't know. I remember I it, it is. appealed to me. There's the, bit in the, there's the bit in the library when he's stamping the books and he's also using the... Um, the metal pole to smash through the floor on X marks the spot. And every time he stamps down in the book with the rubber, uh, rubber stamp, Indy times it with smashing in the floor. Yeah. That's funny, but it's played to like, like French farce. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, whoa, it's so, it's like comedy comedy rather than, uh, um, sort of uh what's the word comedy like sort of incidental comedy or... incidental inc incidental is the word yeah incidental comedy it's sort of like comedy comedy uh and there was also that set piece at the end where he's hanging off the tank uh with a strap on his uh on his side satchel yes and he's and he's like going oh no i'm stuck on the gun turret and he's trying to pull it up and then he climbs up and then he's released from it and it's kind of like well, there's no way for the strap to have got caught around the turret. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like, because he's against the wall. So he's hanging off this strap, but the strap is around the gun turret. But when he climbs back up again, it was like it was just resting on top of it. Do you know what I mean? I so also got, I think that really end, where, where, they, um, where they're all peering off the side of the cliff and then he appears next to them and also starts peering over yeah. when they think he's died or they think he's gone over on the tank. Yeah, find that a really funny joke. Oh, it's brilliant. Right. Yeah, but Harrison Ford is an amazing comedian. Yeah, like he, like you can watch. Well, not a lot of his performances, but um, but certainly Indiana Jones and um, like he's got like Cary Grant lightness of touch to what he does. He's 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 brilliant and all that. And I'm not saying I don't enjoy the comedy in Last Crusade, but what I'm saying is it's a lot more on the nose than it was in the other other yeah. parts of the franchise. It's, it's, it's also not really helped by like John Williams underscoring every single gag, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and um, yeah. But I I I think Last Crusade is it's just yeah, it's as good as a perfect film as you're going to get. Yeah. It's kind of what you would imagine a James Bond film to be like, and then when you watch a James Bond film, you realise it's a lot of boring scuba diving sequences, you know. Yeah. Anyway, let's do some fan mail. Yes. Right, right, we're playing the music, right? Okay. 
So, we did our fan mail. Uh, missed you guys, Rachel. That's nice. That's nice. I can't hear myself, so I'm going to do an approximation of my fan mail. Nick and Nat, in your humble opinion, what is the best straight-to-DVD film to watch during isolation? From Chatty Cathy. Why would you make that your, your definition? What is the best straight-to-DVD film to watch during isolation? Just watch anything you fucking want, Chatty Cathy. <laughs> um, uh, you're called Chatty Cathy. Maybe you should watch the Child's Play remake. Um, uh, that looks awful. Where do I begin? These past few weeks I've felt lost. Capital lost. Without my favourite duo entertaining me every Friday. It just shows how important radio is at a time like this. I'm so glad you're back doing shows and I can't wait to hear some great old five stuff on Dexter. Is that the murderer, Dexter, do you think? I fucking hope so. He must be fucking going mental at the moment. Oh, not out. He must just have to be kind of like constantly, uh, constantly ordering deliveroos and then <laughs> killing the, the guys when they turn up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like the the ultimate Spider-Man. <laughs> like it would be like a web thing. I mean, I'm sure people do that, so it's probably not something to probably not something to make light of in these dark, dark times. Um, I've looked. I had a very dark time the other night, Matt. Uh, but uh, I changed the bulb and then it got a lot better. <laughs> anyway, hi. Hi, Nick and Matt. So, pleased to have you back with us. Hope you're both well and finding ways. Oh, I missed one, did I? I missed it. Oh, sorry, I missed one. Uh, I miss the canty sounds of your voices. Love, a fellow cunt, Mr. McCunt Esquire. <laughs> So pleased. Can you see these, by the way, Matt? Yeah. Hi, Nicanette. So pleased to have you back with us. I'll be about well and finding ways to stay safe, whether that's reading 3D comics or coming up with economical ways of disposing of cup. I do have a question, actually. A reason of you managing to stay creative? If so, how? I have so many scripts I could be working on, but I haven't managed to work. Have either of you considered mentoring? I guess that's two questions. Enjoy recording the show, guys. I look forward to hearing it. Oh, uh, oh hello, Holly. Hello, Holly. So, um, uh, no, I'm. I'm uh, I think we've answered all of that in the first. Hour. We sort of done it in the first half, yeah. Yeah, but like, uh, I wouldn't put too much pressure on yourself. If it comes, it comes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And I wouldn't spend your whole time beating yourself up about it. Uh, unless you use creativity as a way of escape and. Um, and your own entertainment. Uh, and if that's the case, then uh, maybe you should just think about what it is that you want to write about rather than... Um, what, it, what it, Think about what it is that you want to write about rather than, you know, thinking about what it is that you feel like you should be writing. Maybe that's the thing. And people ask me mentoring advice quite a lot, uh, and I always find that quite bewildering because it's like, I can't get my, my own stuff made. <laughs> so I don't know how I what I could possibly you know offer mm. offer anyone else, but like yeah, I would just say write for yourself if you need it as a means of escape at the moment. And if you don't, then don't worry about it too much. I always feel terribly lazy at this time as well, which is a silly way to to think about it. But I think one of the things I find easier than most about isolation is that 
I find the days go quite quickly. I find that I've always got things to do and keep myself busy. Read a book. Yeah. I'll tell you who's great, Shirley Jackson. Read Shirley Jackson. Uh, she's, she's incredible. All right. OMFG. Thanks for sweet juicy Lord that you are back. I watch a lot of films and I've discovered during this period that my favorite genre is a touch of softcore pop. It's really helping me through the endless days and steamy nights. I particularly enjoy nine and a half weeks. Watch it at least once a day. <laughs> Do you have any recommendations for me? I also like Howard's Way and then the merchant every time. Jim, <laughs> big time. <laughs> so, Howard's Way uh, and nine and a half weeks. Once a day, I watch nine and a half weeks. <laughs> Have you watched the sequel another nine and a half weeks? Never seen it. Um, I tell you what, I keep getting advertised, uh, and by that I mean I keep starting the same film over and over again, but not getting very far. I can't remember what the film is. Oh, maybe it was Eskimo Now. Um, I finally got through Eskimo Now. Speaking of softcore porn, uh, that's an entertaining film. I thought that was great. It was like Carry On. Yeah. Uh, with, uh, uh, with the word cunt speckled to it. There was the word Oh, he says cunt in American Werewolf in London. When he's, he? uh, when he's in Trafalgar Square. He says, the Queen is a man! Fuck! Shit! Cunt! And that's <laughs> like, I've never heard it until this recent time that I watched American Werewolf in London. I was like, fucking hell, he says cunt. That's amazing. Um, like, it shocked me. But, um, uh, yeah, but, uh, so, uh, have we ever... I mean, if you're not holding this... We're doing the fan mail. Lift it up. I cannot see the piece of. Shall I go? Yes, we'll do that in two seconds, right there. Um, uh, fuck. Uh, what were we saying? Um, American Wealth in London. But what else were we saying? Oh yeah, uh, uh, the uh, Two Moon Junction. Have you ever seen that? I've never seen it. That looks incredible. Sherilyn Fenn and the bad guy from Kindergarten Cop. Okay, yes, I vaguely remember it. It's sort of, uh, is it Sherilyn Fenn? I think it is. Um, Two Moon Junction. That looks, that, that looks quite good. I've got uh, nine and a half weeks. I meant to rewatch it. I've got it on DVD, so I might give it a watch and let you know. Really like Mickey Rourke, especially as like a leading man. I think he's so cool in those 80s movies. It's weird, isn't it? That yeah. career. What a weird career. Yeah, you'd never think it now, but like as a, as a proper leading man, I think he's great. My favourite Mickey Rourke role is obviously that of uh, Tool from uh, The Expendables. Um, <laughs> what, my favourite bit of The Expendables is the bit when they all turn up to Tool's garage and they're all standing there under a massive sign that says Tools. What <laughs> 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 do you think? Was that deliberate? Was that deliberate? Um, hey guys, hope you're well and that you're doing a five-star show today. I hope you're being treated well by that bird that comes into the studio to bring me the tea and she's made a nice meal for you today. My respects and greetings and salutations to you all. Cheers, Tchaikovsky. <laughs> um, Natalie's doing fine. Uh, fucking hell, people really are going mental in now, don't they? Um, hi Nick and Nat, so glad you're back. Just wondering about your thoughts on Buffy. My boyfriend is obsessed with it. We're currently watching it for the second time. I love the characters and that's Bannerman with interest and complicated villains. Do you have any favourites? Cheers, Lewis. I certainly watched Buffy years ago. It's no, not something I've ever revisited. 
I had a girlfriend that used to be obsessed with Buffy and uh, we split up and it was just like, uh, can't really watch it. Did the um, A musical Buffy sing along the other, the other oh, week? Yeah. Actually, that was the last thing I did before we went into, before I got ill. Um, yeah, and uh, Josh Sweden was there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, which was sort of interesting. Uh, the, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, Josh Sweden was there. So I met Josh Sweden. That was, uh, you know, but I'd never seen Buffy. But I Josh... met him. I met him. He used to come into the comic shop he used to work in a lot. And um, he was very, like, he was very nice. And it was just after the second Avengers film came out. And I always got the impression he was very, like, he, he wanted to know what people thought about it. He didn't like, like I think it. He so, yeah, I think he thought it was rubbish. And it was almost like he was always trying to get the, the pulse of what people were thinking. Yeah, because they probably wouldn't tell him to his face. Yeah. And actually, what, what happened was, we were all probably a bit too polite. <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't particularly... I mean, I remember leaving the first one and having, like, an actual uh, migraine. Um, but, you know, you're not allowed to say anything critical about the Marvel film. So, yeah, they're all good. Um, <laughs> they're all of a standard, if you like that sort of thing. You have to if you want a career in the film industry now. That's, that's, how, you, that's how you do things. I was watching uh, Taika Waititi just... Uh, getting very enthusiastic about Marvel. He did like a watch along with Thor, uh, Thor Ragnarok. And you just think, yeah, but I'm sure he hasn't chosen to do that. Yeah. He is basically promoting the fourth Thor film that's coming out. Yeah. And Marvel have said, can you do a watch along? And Taika Waititi is all of a sudden like the biggest Marvel fan, really excited about Marvel. And you go, but everyone has to be excited about Marvel because they're the people that are making all the biggest films. You know, Kenneth Branagh did his whole, oh, I grew up watching Thor when I was living in Ireland. Uh, you know, I read all the Thor comics. And you go, did you fuck? All of a sudden, you've got all of these middle-aged people that are coming out saying, yeah, I've always loved Marvel. Give us a film. <laughs> you can, come on. You know, I have got more respect for Jake Gyllenhaal, Thor, who sat there and he, and he, he doesn't pretend to know anything about any of the Marvel films, any of the years. I find that quite, like, um, uh, for quite, for quite refreshing. And also, we were like, all that thing, you know, I mean, it's an old thing now, but going back to all that Scorsese thing about the Marvel movies, you go, well, what's Scorsese now? Like, 70? Like, he'd just be like, he's not even the right generation for it. Yeah. Well, there's a whole different conversation. Let's get Bill out on. Yeah. Um, how do we do this? Do you just don't we click on? Do we just should we play a song and then we do it, or should we yeah. just like? Oh, he's just here. Hello, we are hey. joined, we're joined in the studio in uh, the studio being my spare bedroom, uh, Nathaniel's laundry room, uh, Natalie's uh, what living room, and we're joined in the studio now by Bill Azafar. Uh, uh, where are you? You look like you're underneath your stairs. It's a loft room. A loft room. That's yeah, so it's weird. A loft shaped door. Yeah, you know. No, tell me more. Oh, <laughs> that's kind of it, really. <laughs> no, no, no. No, you're here now. You've got to do all the filling. Oh, right. Okay. Um, can you see us? Yeah, I can see you. Yeah. This is um, quite nice. It's like Brady Bunch. Yep. How many times have people been saying that in lockdown? Oh, yeah. like Brady Bunch. You, um, you can hit your head in a loft room because... How high, how high is the ceiling from you now? 
Are you on a slope? High. The slope is on the other side, but the ceiling isn't very high. It's very. It's a very disappointing loft conversion. Stand up. Let's see you stand up. So, what can you see? I can see that light. That's yeah, I mean, look, I can touch the ceiling too easily. Oh, do you know what I mean? Do you know what? Yeah. I can touch my ceiling, but that's because... But you're very tall. You're no, nearly not. seven foot. It's, I am nearly seven foot. I'm uh, six ah. foot. Um, but I tell you what, it's because I think that what... I think the ceilings in my flat are five metres. And then what they've done is that to... In the other half... In half of my flat, I've got a five metre tall room. Mm-hmm. And then in the other half of my flat, they've literally just split it, so all of the uh, all of the ceilings are two and a half meters. Uh, someone living in between. What do you mean living in between? You've got like another. They've sold it as another flat to someone. Mm. No, you're misunderstanding. Which is weird. You've actually been to my flat, Nathaniel. <laughs> I'm saying that there's five meters over there, which is useless because it's dead space. I'm not like. Storing books in this in the sky. Do you understand? Space. What? What's in that space? The air. It's above my head. There's like I'm only six foot tall, so for the rest of the space above me, it's dead space, isn't it? You're right. You're right. You you can't do yoga. You can't do yoga with a low ceiling. Yeah. Uh, You can't do like well. You can't do. It's very disappointing. You can't like do you yoga that. with low self-esteem. <laughs> yeah. When you stay somewhere in Edinburgh, they've got those houses, haven't they, that have got massive high seats. Oh, yeah. And you always think, if it was London, they would put another floor in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's what they've done here. Can I show you? Yeah. Look. So they and have yeah. put a floor in. That is low. Yeah. So, so it's just here. It's literally, I would say, it's, I would say it's a foot. Hang on. I'm going to take my headphones off and I'll show you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we can see Nick touching his own ceiling. <laughs> Without foot above my head. Didn't look like it was any great effort to. Could touch it quite my easy. arm wasn't even straight. No. Mm. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> straight, straight on the ceiling. Uh, anyway, hello, Bill. Yeah. How are you finding lockdown? Uh, difficult, but I'm trying to do some routine stuff. I'm, I'm going to go for a run after this. Which yeah. I'm not very good. Do you ever, you know, when you feel like you should be better at something? Yeah. yeah. Like, because I'm skinny. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm skinny, I just thought I could run for ages, but I can do like 10 minutes and then I'm finished. Yeah, I've got too. that problem. People, people <laughs> talk about running like it's easy. Running so hard. When, when people talk about like, oh, you could definitely do a 5K. No. I'm like, no. <laughs> it's boring as well it's very Which boring Running. yeah it is boring it is boring mm. and it's just like i just think about i'm so aware of doing it mm. i'm doing it almost going i'm running yeah yeah running running yep. and then i just get bored and stop and i think a lot of it is that do you know when people run marathons and they say there's that bit where they hit the wall and mm. like mile 20 i reckon i get that within about four minutes yeah me too just my yeah. mental thing just starts going is it just this? Mm. Are we still doing this? Can we stop now? Do you ever do the yeah. plank? The I've done it before. When you do the plank? Mm-hmm. Yeah? And it's, you're strengthening your core muscles, right? 
And so basically you're rigid and you're just leaning on your elbows or you're leaning on your hands like that. Mm-hmm. That's boring. That is yeah. so fucking boring. <laughs> and you're doing it and you go, it, you, get to, you get to a certain point. I mean, you get to like a minute, right? And it hurts. Mm-hmm. But I always give up about the minute point if I'm doing it. But it's not the pain that makes me stop. It's just how fucking boring it is. You go, I've done a minute. That's all right, isn't it? That's about, that's a decent enough time. Yeah, I was going to get a personal trainer just to make all that stuff interesting, basically. Doesn't make it more interesting. No? No, That's someone to talk to, isn't it? Oh, they try and lend you their DVDs and you just think, oh, don't want to. No, I had a lovely, um, I do have a lovely, but I haven't seen him in a while, uh, personal uh, trainer. Yeah, it does Mm -hmm. make it interesting, but it makes, do you know what? I used to have a piano teacher and um, uh, when I was growing up and he sort of like had an interest in computer games and I worked out that if I just kept him talking about computer games, I wouldn't have to actually do any piano work. And it's got to the point now where I'm nearly 40 and I, I can't play piano and I regret that. And I don't play Mega Drive anymore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Who's the real winner? He is because he got paid for doing fuck all. So I think uh, if you have he a personal trainer, he, he didn't care. But if you have a personal trainer, the um, uh, the temptation is to uh, keep him talking about shit for as long as possible at the beginning, mm. so that you know. Yeah, that would be my tactic. You eat your hour, but you do running, don't you, Nat? That's what I mean. I try and do it, but I'm so terrible at it. Like uh, I just get bored, and like yeah, like I can do ten minutes, and mm. then I sort of do it and stop, and then go. Oh, that's annoying. And they can start off again. I couldn't yeah, do cause... more than I think once I did it for about half an hour, mm. and that's that's basically as, as as good as I could do it. Because you just realise you can stop whenever you want. Yeah, and then you stop. <laughs> that's like, what is this, to me. Enjoying yourself? Not really. Stop. No. Then. <laughs> no. Also, yeah. I think a lot of runners say they get that kind of rush of adrenaline. Yeah, no, do you not get that? And I go, no, no. Do you get that doing stand up? Yeah. I don't know if I get that even. Really? Yeah. I think I just kind of, I have ones where I go, that was good. And that's, that's almost like, I go, yeah, I enjoyed that. I don't think oh, I ever- no. I feel like having a fight after a good gig. <laughs> Do you get the adrenaline rush, Nick? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I feel like every single time I've dodged a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> so relief. Is that, is that, yeah i feel relief when i've done a gig yeah um, okay but i don't know if i uh i probably get the adrenaline rush when i'm on stage mm. do you know what i mean but then my yeah. shows are two hours oh, bloody so, hell. so you, you know you're not going to get imagine not feeling any sense of reward for two hours and then having a little rush have you heard about when american comedians bump each other bump. have you heard of this bump which yeah. is because you said you did two hours because I didn't know about this until I started listening to loads of American podcasts. Well, I have an it's... interval, two forty-five minutes. Yeah, no, that's fine. But um, what they do in America is um, someone will go on. So, like, so say I was, so you're meant to headline, and I'm before you. I just do an hour instead of twenty minutes, or even two hours, and then you go home, and that's me bumping you. And that's the thing that happens a lot in America. What bad, isn't it? Sort of talks over the headliner. Yeah, the headliner has to go home. So it's a bit different though, as well, because like the headliner could be—it's not quite like here. The headliner could be a newer person, 
about oh. to get their big break kind of thing by headlining the comedy store in America or whatever. And then some like Carlos Mencia used to do it a lot. I don't know if you know that guy. And he'd just go on and do two hours of like his best stuff. And then the little headliner would go home. Sad, isn't it? It's mad. It's but, sad. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's not like... Um... That's not like when you when the compare says, "Do you mind closing?" Yeah, no, it's different. <laughs> That's literally someone without any permission just goes on and goes, uh, mm. "Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do more." They can because they're more famous or whatever. Yeah, but um, got into, has got into a lot of trouble, hasn't he? Oh yeah, he's a fascinating guy. Um, I guess you have it sometimes when you get someone who might be quite famous on the bill, who can sort of, who has meant a headline and then goes, actually, can I open? Because they just want to mm. go home. Yeah, that's tough as well. Like when you're previewing with someone and they're way more famous yes. and then all their fans leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, bit in, it's a bit inconsiderate as well. You get people mm. that have just had kids or something and they say, can I go on early? Because I've got a family to get back to. And you go, do you know what? Uh, do you mind if I go on early because I've just got an empty flat to get over to <laughs> and I find it really depressing when there's nothing on telly yeah <laughs> how about that you know, you've got people that love you waiting for you I've got nothing mm. <laughs> um, so I think that that's a good way of uh, bartering mm-hmm. um, you've got a web series haven't you Yes. Bill al School of Excellence. Acting um, School of Excellence. Acting School of... Oh, yeah, sorry, I've missed It's that okay. Bit. Acting School of Excellence. Uh, yeah, so I've been really lucky because we, I really wanted to make this thing. I couldn't find anyone that would do it with me. And then I met Ben Malaby. Do you know him? I know Ben Malaby, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He makes it with me. He's a BAFTA-nominated guy and just an amazing comedy person. He wanted to do it with me. And so we make this little web series. Luckily, we filmed five before this lockdown thing happened. So I've got a thing to think about at the moment, you know. Um, and it's just like, it's like, a, it's kind of like a spoof chat show thing about acting. And then eventually we do some scenes from a classic film. It's very stupid, like very silly little 10 minutes. Are you doing the actual scene? Yeah. Straight? You've got three with out. The, what, days the what days do they come out? Monday. Monday so at about 11am. So you've got three out at the moment, or four? Three so far. I've seen the first two with J.C. Long and Nick Sampson. Uh, uh, the Ian Lee one is nuts. Yeah, right. Okay. It's, they're getting more... I think they got, they got better as we did them, because I just got more confident with it, because I've yeah, never really done this sort of thing. And they get more silly and sort of where I wanted it to be, if you know sure. what I mean. But when you start something, you kind of use sort of like, these are the core ideas, mm-hmm. and then you sort of you've done that and then you have the freedom to move away from what it is and then it sort of like finds itself in a way doesn't it mm. and you can be really stupid with it and just have fun yeah really funny um, oh thanks man uh, really, i'm very proud of it yeah you should be it's fucking funny it's lovely but now you get to just release those five and say that's mm. series one yes and exactly and i might be doing more on zoom um because we do want to release more and there's people I want to do it with and stuff. Um, Ewan McIntosh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That guy, he asked if he can do it. Oh yeah. I said, okay. <laughs> so we might do one on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> um, You're very enthusiastic. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'll do some more and I, you know, we've got, a, are you guys doing much online? 
content doing this apart from this other, other than this it's what whatever i get asked to do really mm. i'll say yes to things but i'm not i'm not very proactive about getting stuff going well i've re- i kind of had an uh, an epiphany i don't a realization yesterday that um the comedy live comedy will probably not be back for a while yeah and it's all i do for money pretty much mm-hmm. like it's my only thing so i think i'm going to really focus on online and get into twitch and stuff like that got this decent webcam i like the way you say that almost like you're going i might do twitch Sounds i'm like definitely doing it no i'm gonna do it i'm just not that confident but i i thought about it and i thought i have to treat it like stand-up where it's like i wasn't yeah. confident and you just have to it's, it's work it out yeah mm. you've just got to you know it is our job but um was i saying this to you no i had another i did another podcast in a week but um but yeah it's like um uh we've just got to find new ways of doing uh, this isn't what i was going to say i've just forgotten what i was going to say and i've got to win it <laughs> i was going to say i was going to say <laughs> I have you done like, I remembered where I said it. Okay. Listen to, uh, i tell you what, I cover it all expertly in Psy Comedy with Nathan Cassidy. Uh, it's only 20 minutes. You can listen to it in like a tea break uh, from, you know, uh, sitting over there. Mm. You uh, could play it at double speed. Yeah, play it at double I've just learned sp- type, speed and a half or whatever. You can just fucking... I've, I listen to all of these fucking YouTube... Uh, I watch all these YouTube videos that are like 45 minutes. And if you yep. just click 1.5, and it gets to it in like half an hour. And you go, oh my god! It's like uh, I always think thought in real life and go, "You're a lot. You talk a lot slower in real life." I always just think, you know, the travelators at airports. <laughs> and you have people that stand on them, and you go, yeah, "What are you doing?" I always think that if you walk along enough of them, you can mm. actually undo like one of the Michael Bay Transformers movies. <laughs> you know, you get your life back uh, if you walk you along them. Put them at one point five speed as well. I've seen yeah, three of those, man. I, know. I, I think I've seen. I think I've seen the first two. I heard that the five. Is there four or uh, five? Is five. five. Is the five. fifth one the really stupid? I mean, I know they're all stupid, but is the is fifth the one? one... With King yeah, <laughs> that's the one I want to see. Yeah, because I've been told, and I, I want to see this for myself. That in that you find out that lots of people throughout history like Transformers, and one of them, Stephen Hawking. <laughs> I think it's meant to be like part transformer or something. That's so offensive. <laughs> I know. I think he was alive at the time though as well. Like he was like he might have seen it, gone, what? Oh my god. <laughs> I think there's something it? about Oh he might be. Doesn't he have a cameo in it? He might even have a cameo. Oh maybe. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I think there's something about slavery in there and transformers. Yeah, I mean, the second one's racist, right? <laughs> They're all a bit there's cause there's those two characters that are like black stereotype. Yeah. that are transformers yeah. and i i read i think i read that they're voiced by a white person yeah yeah <laughs> it's like it's like... From the cartoon, though. no i don't think so okay. not the way they're in there and the way they're caricatured yeah um it's just it's like mm, okay all mm. right all right i mean nothing's like it was in the cartoon no <laughs> i don't understand why they're so complicated why the robots are so complicated you go, they fold into a car. Mm. The idea is that you're meant to be ages four and up. And yeah. So it's just like there's so many intricate moving parts. You go, this looks nothing like the toy that I had when I was growing You up. can't tell what's going on when they're fighting. I mean, no. yeah, That's not awful. to sound old before my time, but it's yeah. fucking confusing films to watch. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, 
I don't like them. Honestly, yeah. you know, not, not, not on a visual level or a storytelling level. They're confusing. Mm. Have either of you two done any um, gigs online? I did one. Oh, yeah, okay. I did. I did one, which was all right. Um, bit it's awkward. Weird. Yeah, but we were only doing five minute sets, and the one I did was run by. It's called Cosmic Shambles, which is. Um, yeah, I'm doing that next week. Oh, good! It's a decent one because it's run by Thingy. What's his face? Johnny Roberts. Who? Is oh it? no, no. Yes, it's his. It's his gig. But the, oh, Robin Ince. It's his yeah. website, I think. Cosmic Shambles. Yes, yes. So Robert. you get quite a lot of viewers um, watching it and. Um, that's a nicer one, and you, yeah, you only do five minutes, I think. So I'm doing, I'm doing one next week, and the the audience have to pay to watch it. Okay. And then, and then there's a door split. Yeah. Oh. So, so you get paid, right? Mm. You think that's great, and then uh, I tweeted it, and they said tickets selling out fast, and you go, "What do you mean? It's the internet <laughs> selling out." What do you mean? Why have you put a limit? Why have you put a limit? <laughs> This is the one time when a penny size doesn't count. Look, <laughs> got a maximum of 20 people can watch this fucking gig on the fucking internet. They can be watching it in Alaska. I'm getting a, I'm getting a fucking door split. <laughs> fucking hell. We're selling 20 tickets at £5 each. Well, thank you fucking very much. <laughs> it's not like split. it would be like... Um... You know, sometimes it works better in a smaller room. Doesn't make any sense. You do it. We're all in a small room, mate. We're in the small room of our fucking limited imagination. <laughs> fucking hell. I'm going to be in a fucking small room doing a fucking thing to an audience of none on the internet. <laughs> I mean, how is it putting a fucking limit on the amount of people that can fucking watch the fucking gig? Are you sure there's a limit or do they just yeah, say that? Tickets selling out first and you go, why have you done that? I reckon that's just so when you get your door split, you'll go, oh, I'm pleased with that amount. Rather than, there's probably millions of people watching it. Someone's well, making loads make, of money back then. possible to, but you, I mean, you could make a million quid off of that if you did a door <laughs> split. It's five yeah. quid each, right? <laughs> it's five quid each, five acts, and a million people watch it. That's a million quid each. I mean, why aren't we all doing that? Why aren't we all doing that? Oh, I mean, this is like tickets running out fast. What, you mean almost everyone on the planet has bought a ticket so far? That's crazy. That's great, though. Great audience. Great, great audience. God. <laughs> Fucking hell. You sold, yeah, 10 billion sold. So it's pretty good. <laughs> okay, well, I better brush up on my uh, Ten Commandments material. Um... <laughs> That's right. <clears throat> Fucking hell. Ten Commandments. Did he say, thou shall not covet thy neighbour's ass? <laughs> what do you mean bottom? Great stuff. <laughs> well, that, uh, that could take at least two minutes, that bit. But there's, there's no feedback. It doesn't matter. I can't hear yeah, whether right. it's dying or not. But I could, when I did it, I could see the other comedians. Um, what, rolling their eyes? Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, that's a visual joke. I guess we can, this is a podcast and it's a radio thing. Yeah. So you might use that as your clip. Who knows? That's fan club. Um, so, uh, right, yeah, so you could see the other comedians. So what was that like? Were they being... It was uh, all right. They were smart. It was all... 
it was all lovely people. It was Josie Long, John Luke Roberts, Johnny and the Baptists. Plus the Shelf. Smiles. Pardon? Plus the smiles. Yeah, very, the nicest people. Like, I'm glad I got to do it with them. I wouldn't want to do like a Skype gig with like random open spots that Man. shared David Icke videos on my Facebook. You know, it's loads. You talk about this. That's the other thing. It's like, what do you even write about to talk mm. about? Do you, are you expected to go like, if you don't talk about it, is it weird? If you do, is that weird? Does anyone want to hear about it? I mean, everyone approached it differently. Some people did it totally straight. Um, well, like I talked about it. Pretty much. Yeah. Stand up down the lens. I don't even know how I'd do that. It depends. Like, John Luke Roberts did a character... And so he just did this weird monologue, which was fine. That worked. I had to address it because my style is... <laughs> wow. You know. He did a monologue, which was fine. No, I mean... Bloody hell. Oh, God. All it right, was very funny. each other now, are we? It, it was, was very right. funny. I, I wouldn't have done it, but uh, he seemed to <laughs> get away with it for 10 minutes. I've got a problem, right, where because my voice is quite monotone, it sounds like I'm being sarcastic a lot of the time. No, it didn't sound like you're being sarcastic. And I'm not. I'm, I'm being nice, but it people think... It sounds like you're being hypercritical of Robert's <laughs> act, uh, but not sarcastic, no. Um, yeah, you've got, a, you've got a fine voice. Thanks. And would you have, would you have gone to Edinburgh this year, were it to happen? Yeah. I was yeah, going to do a paid... Like now, can't you? you could do a whole month. Of this, yeah. same uh, time, get up uh, with a hangover. You do a bucket speech. You, you do a bucket speech. Yeah, but you can do that. You can go. Can you put like three quid in my coffee account? You know that you yeah. can crawl. You can you can do flyering in your hallway for like uh, an hour. it's better be an hour, but you only do five minutes. Mm. Then you come into your venue, sit down. Uh, you do an hour uh, on on this. Then what you do is you leave. Go into your kitchen. And drink for fifteen hours, <laughs> and go go to bed at seven o'clock in the morning. Crawl yourself out to do, you know, maybe a promotional gig on Chortle at about eleven o'clock a.m. And then what you do is you get ready for your gig. You just about pull yourself together, do your gig at four o'clock in the afternoon. You're off at five. Go back in the kitchen. Get absolutely fucked off your face again until seven o'clock in the morning. Do that every day for a month. Call that Edinburgh. Well, okay. <laughs> or you can do something productive with your time. Right? Uh. Um, <laughs> I love Edinburgh. Oh. Mm. Yeah, I, I was going to do a paid. <laughs> I was going to do a paid show for the first time. I've always done where pay you, what where you, you want. Where were you going to do it? The underbelly. Um, oh, it was great called. Venue. What was it called? Buttercup, the underbelly buttercup. Oh, um, yeah. that's the like... one that's that's the one that's not in the underbelly, isn't it? That's the one that's um, in the courtyardy bit. Yeah, it's not on Cowgate. Yeah, but um, I don't know why I'm talking about it. It's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> what time are you not going to be doing it? Five fifteen. Five fifteen every day. Any days off? No. No days off. The whole thing. I can't no. remember. <laughs> Probably one. Probably Were you going to go day. up? Yeah, we got them all off now. Yeah, were you, were you going to go up this year? <laughs> no, I wasn't going to go. I wasn't going to go. Oh. So you've always toured your shows as well, haven't you? Yeah. So I guess three, that's <laughs> three tours. Yeah, but, but it's... can you imagine? You know, uh, you can tour your show without doing Edinburgh. Mm. You I could try. 
well, why wouldn't you? you wouldn't I wouldn't have a show. That's the problem. Uh, well, you know, book yourself in for a week of uh, work in progress. Mm. By the end of the week, you'll have a show and then take it on tour. I could probably, yeah. It's you weird. Don't need, my... You don't need to do Edinburgh to tour. I kind of do, I think. Why? I uh, don't have any fans. Uh, do <laughs> you get return customers every time you tour? Yes, but it's very up and down, all of sure. it. That's what, that's what it is. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, you do it. I don't know anything about touring, really. I only just started touring myself. But I know that um, if you look at some of the great tourers, if you look at someone like Jimmy Carr, he will tour every year and he will go to the same place and people will go, right, December in uh, Milton Keynes, we go and see Jimmy Carr. And they do it every year. Does he do that every year? Pretty much. And he does one tour. And then by the end of that tour, he's written the new tour. That's a lot of one-liners, isn't it? Yeah. But he'll pretty much start, he'll start the next tour, like the week after or the day after he's finished the last tour. Yeah, he's always on tour. tour. He's always on tour. He's always doing it. And uh, and he builds an audience like that. And people know that they, to expect him in their town, you know. Um, I wouldn't worry so much about Edinburgh. You don't build a tour audience through Edinburgh necessarily. Yeah, you're right. I'm not. Too, I'm adapt. I've adapted now. I felt very bad when this whole lockdown thing first started, but I, you know, it's fine. I'm going to be a Twitch guy. I'm going to be a a YouTuber, and I'm like a like an alt right guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's, that's that's all I watch. <laughs> like an incel. Um... Yeah, I love them. <laughs> great, great boys. They should have a bigger platform. You but also, I think slowly... that's a good way of building an audience. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, man, the few... Um, I'm, I'm not going to go into it, but the a few people that have gone a little bit right-wing in the comedy scene have really built an audience now. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. Absolutely. And I, I think that it's easy to forget about the lessons of the past, isn't it? But, you know, Dapper Laughs, he built up a huge audience before he even stepped up on stage. You know, yeah. Just doing his little vines or whatever they were. So I think that, you, know, Vines, you, yeah. you don't want to forget, you don't want to forget, you know, big successful acts like that. He, um, Dapper Laughs gave him my first ever gig. Did he? Where was yeah. that? It was in, oh, I think, oh, was it in South London? I can't remember. It was like an open mic night called Brand Spanking Comedy in, I think, 2013 when I did I didn't my first know one. was sort of working regular clubs and things. I thought he only sort of toured under his own name. Oh no, this, he, oh, he wasn't Dapper Laughs yet. He had his own name. Okay. Yeah. Very boring name. Not oh. as good as Dapper Laughs. Dan <laughs> something, I don't know. Um, but he was he running. Himself, why didn't he call himself Dapper Dan? Oh yeah. Well, that maybe Dapper been. Laughs implies that it's mm. comedy. Dapper Dan just sounds like a style guy. It's a pomade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dapper Dan. Um, yeah. So, hang on. Where are we? You were in Last Christmas. Yeah. Of course. So tell of us course. About that. Tell <laughs> us about that. Nathaniel and Natalie were talking about uh, how Natalie has seen it. Oh, right. Natalie hasn't uh, seen it, but she oh, might right. watch it at some point. And Nathaniel was saying that he might get around to seeing it at some point. Well, I mean, it will be on every Christmas forever now. It will yeah, be on well. TV, so mm. you can wait. I mean, you don't have to, but yeah, no, it was amazing. We'll, I will get you at some point. 
<laughs> oh, it will find you. Yeah, you don't have to find it. it. But it will get you. Yeah. I, I saw Love Actually at the cinema, hated it, like with a passion. And yeah. I think I've seen it another five or six times since. Oh, <laughs> that's a proper... I mean, this is a bit like Love Actually. You know, it's one of those type of films. Um, yeah, no, I'm a very, very minor character in it. My, I've got a, my name is Oscar in the film. Mm-hmm. Because it was a colorblind casting. And whenever I have colorblind castings where they don't care about how you look, I do quite well. But then when it's like an Asian character, it's always a bit crap. Why? Because the character's an idiot. Oh, really? <laughs> Usually. Well, yeah. it's written as an idiot. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah it's, yeah, it's very common. And who um, is Oscar in Last Christmas? What's who is Oscar? Oscar? He is, uh, he's one of the friends of Amelia Clark. Kate, she's called in the film. Um, and she, he's, she stays with him for a bit when she's going through a tough time. I'm in it for a, a very short time. Go on. I, I, had, um, I had a proper little bit, a longer speaking bit, but it got cut down, but it's fine. You know. Well, you know, um, Miss Moneypenny, the original actress in Miss Moneypenny. Well, no, but... Well, you know the woman that played her? Yeah. Nathaniel? Yeah. <laughs> she, her running time in all of the James Bond films is something like seven minutes. Oh, really? Yeah. Is yeah. it? And you go, yeah, but you remember her. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Do you know what I mean? It's not about how long you're on screen for. It's about what you chew in there. Mm. Like that little kid in Back to the Future 3, he's in it for what? 40 seconds? And all he needs to do is point at his dick when he's on the train. And you remember him forever. <laughs> So maybe you should do something like that. When you point at your dick during last Christmas. When you're on screen in the back of a shot, point at your dick. (laughs) (laughs) When someone else is talking, you could use it. You could use this as one of your acting tips, mate. And uh, point at your dick in the background of shot, and people will be talking about it for years and years to come. Yes. (laughs) Did you do that during last Christmas? Yeah. (laughs) Good. Yeah. So how how long are you on screen for? Uh, I'd say maybe five seconds or something. Five seconds. Or maybe seconds? a bit more. Maybe a bit more. I mean, yeah. three separate scenes. No, maybe ten. I don't know. But they're all very short little bits. Obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like al- almost almost montage type, <laughs> if you know what I mean. I mean, I mean, ten, eleven, fifteen scenes. Uh, my screen time. <laughs> Is three seconds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. All right. Okay. That's great. But, um, um, yeah, but it was, it was, it, uh, it was a cool, yeah, it was like, it's one of the best things I've ever done. It was mad. Cause like, I'm not an actor, you know, I just get to audition for bits occasionally and I've not got anything that good. And you then, say that when you're in the auditions? Yes. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, just, I had to, but all the audition was, was that I had to react to my fish dying. And, and I got it, yeah. And then it was, ma- like, this, it was ridiculous. So last year, I didn't have the best year um, professionally. It wasn't, it was just a bit rubbish, you know. But I got this film, my first day, I went in, uh, got my hair and makeup, went in to have my hair and makeup done. Emma Thompson was just there having her hair done. She knew my name and she thanked me for being in the film. <laughs> Which is so weird. <laughs> what did you say? Thanks well, for doing this. I said, well, uh, it's, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, so 
Try and keep up, Emma. Watch me for the changes. <laughs> <laughs> and then I met um, met the director Paul Feig, who's like a legend as well. Yeah. And again, he said, "Thanks so much for doing this." It's nice. It shows it shows him in a good light. Oh no, they, everyone was very nice. Yeah, of it course. Was like, like, you just get to see yourself at the cinema, right? Projecting yeah. Huge. Yeah, there was a special cast and crew screening I went along to. Um, yeah, that was fun. It was cool. Yeah, the whole thing is like, like you, like I could boast about being working with Emma Thompson for at least another five years, sure. if I do nothing else. You just know what drop, I mean? Keep dropping it. Yeah, it's a good thing when my mum's friends like want to know what I'm doing. I just uh, film with Emma Thompson. Yeah, yeah. but also I bet they, I bet you did a better performance, didn't you? A better performance. Yeah, because they were nice to you. They, you came in and they treated you like you were valued. And then you came in and you did a good performance because you're just like, they know my name. I should, I belong here. And they're happy that I turned up. Yeah, I hadn't really thought of that. Whereas if they'd have treated you like you're... I've done entire series with people that haven't even looked at me between takes. <laughs> you know? And I can say that my performance did suffer for that. <laughs> that person is a cunt, right? Uh, they are always going to be on the cunt list, and that was not me, right? And, uh, and you have a choice professionally, right? Whereas, what are you going to take away from that performance? I hadn't I, thought of that at all. Um, I did a my my first thing we filmed was a scene with Amelia Clark, and um, she uh, between takes she was very nice. It was just me and her doing this little scene. She was very friendly. We were just chatting about stuff. And then um, Paul Feig, like, even, like, told us little things to say. Like, we didn't stick to the script at all. And none of that got used. But, like, it was such a nice experience. I got such a high off it. It was crazy. Yeah, and I imagine that your performance was better for it. Thank you. Different ways of working. And and not all experiences are like that. And so you're really uh, really lucky to have worked with some nice people. Uh, And I think the bigger you get, I've I've learned this in the last week. I've I've had some conversations with some uh, some people like big big names, and they're really great. And you learn through this industry and through working with people, you can learn from the worst people that you've worked with, and you can learn from the best people you've worked with. And I always I take all of that on board because you go, who do I want to be like? Well, I don't want to be like that. I want to be like that. And you, it brings the best out of people, and then everyone looks good. Yeah. Who do you want to be like? Harry Hill. <laughs> okay. He's the nicest person in the industry that I've ever met. Cool. He's I've never met him. He's just incredibly encouraging. He's a proper, you know, he's really professional and he's just, he's really great. He brings the best out of people. You know, who, who do I not want to be like that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it will end up in, so I'm not going to say. Uh, I'll message you after. I'll tell you as soon as we stop filming. Um, <laughs> just we've got two, we've got two more minutes we've got basically a minute tell us about your tom and jerry audition oh okay i just had to go in and do an american accent for a guy that works in a hotel and i don't think i did that well and was also the character working in a hotel or was it a guy yeah, that the character. In a hotel? so i think the film you is just set... have to like do an american accent to the guy on the door of a hotel to let no, no 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 <laughs> um, the character i think the film is set in a hotel and of course, why not? It's Tom and Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> Flaws are fun. Chloe Moretz, Chloe Grace Moretz, I think oh, yeah. she's the main star. What, she's Tom? No. Jerry. The 
I guess she's a, her own person. She's not the ampersand. Um, I don't think Tom and Jerry speak. Good. I, yeah, I no, watched, I agree. I watched Tom and Jerry. I, well, that's why I found out. I watched Tom and Jerry the movie. They start talking halfway through. Oh, it's it awful, goes, yeah. Oh, it's... my fucking God. The Tom sounds like uh, Peter it's, Griffin. It's so bad. And they do <laughs> that thing. Crazy. They, it's crazy. They do that thing where they say, wait, you can talk? It's awful. <laughs> and then they talk to the they? entire they fucking awesome. film. Yeah. Cats don't talk anyway. No, terrible. Well, the mice don't talk either, Nat. Um, oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, right, so definitely watch Bill Al-Safar's Acting School of Excellence. It's on YouTube. Uh, it's really funny. It's great. Um, I play out with your song, Bilal? Yes, please. Uh, so thanks for coming on, Bilal. Uh, Thank you for coming. We'd love you to have you on a regular one when we're all out of this shit. Uh, sure. And th- thanks for joining us in lockdown. This is De La Salle Royalty Capes. Ladies and gents, crystal caring pixie peasants and warriors. You've been listening to a Fubar Radio podcast. For more information, go to fubarradio.com.